Well, good morning, Beach Point. The 8.30 service was louder than that. Good morning, Beach Point. There we go. There we go. You guys just needed another cup of coffee. And, um, you know, as, as the ushers continue to receive the offering, we're going to go ahead and get started. And I just want to introduce myself this morning. My name is Jason. I'm the Associate Pastor of Community Life here on the Fountain Valley campus. And I have uh, just the opportunity to serve uh, on staff here. And I'm so thankful, so excited that you're here this morning uh, to worship the Lord. And I just got to tell you a, a little bit of a confession. I'm a little amped up for today's message. So... Uh, more amped up than normal. So for those of you who know what that means, just, you know, strap in, hold on tight. We're going to get through it together. Um, So we're in week 13 of a 31-week series called The Story. And what we're trying to look at over the next, uh, uh, the remaining weeks and the, the weeks we've already had is the overarching picture of God redeeming his people throughout history. And uh, six, excuse me, 13 weeks ago, we started with this mini-series called Beginnings. We were looking at the beginnings of God's uh, work with his people. The beginnings of, you know, creation, creation, creating the world, um, creating humans, creating relationship. Uh, and, and then at about week seven, we turned to, to this part of the story called a nation emerging in which God um, moved from creating relationships with his people to forging a nation for himself. And the twists and the turns that have happened along the way. Um, if, you, if you haven't been here, just to catch up, essentially here's what's happened in this series. Um, the, the series began with God on the throne of the nation of Israel. It was a theocracy, meaning that God was the ruler of the nation. And so... Um, you know, and the, the nation of Israel prospered, things were going well, and then they did as they do so often. They looked around to their left, they looked around to their right, and they said, you know what, um, we want to be like them. We want to be like the other, the other nations. We want a human king. And God says, uh, you know, that's going to be really bad for you. And they said, great, where do we sign up? Um, and so they, they got a human king. God gave them what they wanted. They got a human king. And in fact, surprise, surprise, God was actually correct. And, uh, and it has turned out very badly for them. And since uh, the humans have taken over, since it's become a, a monarchy instead of a theocracy, um, it's been essentially the same cycle of uh, faithfulness, um, contentment, um, complacency, disobedience, uh, consequence, faithfulness. Just, it's, you know, it's just the same circle over and over and over again. And two weeks ago, we talked about a, a guy that you may or may not know from the scriptures named David, um, from the story of David and Goliath. And we talked about how his story uh, had some, some, some real downfalls, but it also had some real amazing moments of him just saying, I've screwed up. I want to live my life for God. This week, we find ourselves not only in the last week of this mini-series of a nation emerging. um, Next week, we'll begin a series, uh, a part of the story called Broken. um, But we also find ourselves in the life of David's son, David and Bathsheba's son, Solomon. And what we'll see is that the cycle is going to happen again, only it's going to be worse. And so with that in mind, I want to encourage you to grab your bulletins that you received and grab uh, your outline out there, your note page, uh, and take notes and follow along. You will remember up to 700 times more, excuse me, 700% more 
of what you write down than what you simply listen to. I know that sounds like a cat poster, but it's true, okay? Um, and so the big idea, the idea that frames and shapes everything that we're talking about here uh, this morning is this. A big failure is often the result of little decisions. A big failure is often the result of little decisions. Now, now with that in mind, you know, with that idea, we're going to see this idea come up in Solomon's life in really big ways. But before we get there, I want to start off by asking you a question. The question is this. Have you ever felt that getting something you wanted would make your life complete? Have you ever felt like if I could just get blank, then I'd have it made? Well, for me, the first time I experienced this to my memory was when I was nine years old. Well, actually, I was eight, but my birthday was coming. It's also coming in about 18 days, just to be clear. Um, send gifts to 8603 All Rancher. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but that birthday was coming up, and it was the wild, wacky year of 1988 before some of you were born. And... Um, and so I was, I was turning nine, and there's this video game system called Nintendo. Not DS, not N64, not PS, whatever. Nintendo it was the rectangle, and it was beautiful and magical. And, and there was a game, uh, the, the next chapter of the legacy of two brilliant Italian plumbers. Um, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers 2 had come out in June. And I had already beaten Super Mario Brothers 1, so I knew I was ready. I knew Mario and Luigi and I needed to hook up, and we could do it. We could take it, we could take it out. And so I asked for it. You know, I started asking my birthdays in November, 18 days from now, just in case you forgot. And um, I, I, uh, I started asking for it when it came out. It came out in June of that year. And I was asking, and I asked for nothing else. I didn't care about anything else. I'm like, if I could just get this game, my whole life is going to be the, the most amazing thing ever. And so, you know, I got, that year I, had to, I got to spend my birthday with my dad uh, instead of my mom. And we went over to my grandma's house, and all these gifts are there. And um, my grandma made me my favorite cake at the time, which was a strawberry cake. And it looked delicious, and the presents looked wonderful. And so it was, you know, it was time to open presents, started ripping through the presents. And wouldn't you know it? It wasn't there. <laughs> I know. The Dodgers now this, okay? Uh, um, and, uh, and so, you know, uh, it's not there. And I, being the incredibly uh, gracious, charitable, um, humble, just overall fantastic guy, um, I, with all these amazing piles of birthday presents in front of me, Start crying. <laughs> Super grateful. And, um, and so I start crying, and my dad's like, oh, you know, son, what's wrong? And I was like, all I wanted was Mario. You know, and, and then in classic dad fashion, right, he's like, oh, did, did you see that gift over there? And I was like, you know, like, this is it. Um, I go over, I get it, I rip into it, and I open it. And I don't know if any of you remember this. There was this terrible, I mean, the, the company, I don't even know how they stayed in business for like, I don't know, four millennia. But it was Edamon's Chocolates, that yellow and green nasty chocolate box. 
And I open it, and it's that chocolate. And I'm like, you saved grandma candy for the last thing? And he's like, open the box, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah! And they're glaring back at me was Mario. Um, And I was just so stoked. I was so excited, you know? And I can honestly say to you now, uh, these few short years later, um, that... Super Mario Brothers 2 did not, in fact, complete my life. I know this is coming as a shock to some of you, but it did not provide everything I ever needed or wanted in this life. And, and so, you know, uh, I, you'd think in a story like that, right? You, you hear a story like that, and you're like, that's silly. That's, that's what we do when we're kids. But let's, let's make it a little bit more real. This doesn't stop when we're grown-ups. It just takes on different forms. And... And the majority of the form that it takes on is this one simple sentence that we believe over and over and over again, even though every time we believe it, it always disappoints us. And the sentence is this, if I could just get blank, then I'll be happy. If I could just get blank, then I'll be happy. That job, the house, the car, the perfect kids, whatever those look like. Um, whatever it is. We believe this sentence over and over and over again. Well, for Solomon, he had quite the opposite situation, right? Solomon, he, he inherited an entire kingdom that he didn't fight for. His dad fought off all the enemies, and he inherits the whole thing. And the Lord speaks to him in a dream. The Lord comes to him in a dream and says, Solomon, I will give you Anything you want. So let me just recap so far. Solomon inherits an entire kingdom, and the God of the all of the whole universe says to him, Hey, this is you know what this is a this is like your your one chance card in Monopoly. Ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he's like, sweet. Now you have to understand, Solomon's not in his 20s, he's not in his 30s, he's not in his 50s. He's a middle schooler. He's anywhere between 12 and 15 years old at this point. Now think back with me. If you can just imagine, I know that's going to be easier for some of you than others, but if you could just kind of think back to your middle school days. If God shows up to you in a dream and says, I'll give you anything you want, just ask, give you anything you want, what do you say, right? A billion dollars, right? A video game, a new TV, you know, the, the ever-popular boyfriend-girlfriend wish, which always turns out great in middle school. Um, maybe just to have more friends. Right? We're going to be together forever. A week later, I hate him. Um, and, uh, you know, but Solomon is in middle school, and he says this. God, what I want is I want wisdom. I want the ability to know how to make the best choice in every situation. And God says to him, okay. Now, I could be totally wrong here, but I was a youth pastor for about 15 years. And I never once met a middle school student who, if they were asked, I'll give you anything you want, just ask for it. They say, oh, wisdom. And then they turn their not mustache. Okay? Um, never going to happen. It's never happened. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be me. I wouldn't ask for that. Right? 
But Solomon does, and we see the Lord's response. If you have your Bibles and you want to open up to 1 Kings chapter 3, or you have your storybooks, it's on page 177 uh, there. Um, But Solomon does ask for wisdom. And when he asks for wisdom, he essentially is asking for a very particular thing. And God God responds to him in, in a pretty amazing and incredible way. I mean... Uh, if you're having a dream and, and God's showing up, and by the way, we're in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 10. Um, God got in the dream, responds to Solomon's request. And he says this, and we'll throw it up here on the screen as well. It says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not, long, not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for death of your enemies, which, by the way, would have been at top of my list during middle school. Like, I want so-and-so to get beat up and so-and-so to get beat up. Um, I may have been small and mouthy. Um, I know it's difficult to imagine. And so, but he says, you know, the de- not the death of your enemies, but for the discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, this is crazy. I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and fame, honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among the kings. Right? So he doesn't ask for the thing that every, you think everyone would ask, like wealth and fame. He asks for wisdom, and God's like, well, just as an aside, I'll just throw in wealth and fame. Sweet! He is a thir- you know, 12 to 15-year-old kid who has just been given the ability to make godly choices and to know the right decision in each situation. He just inherited a kingdom. And God said, in addition to your kingdom, I'm going to make you more rich and more famous. Right? This is literally, right, this is why the chapter is titled what it is. Chapter 13 of the story. The king who had it all. I mean, he literally has everything. And so, uh, you know, people came from all over to hear his, his, you know, his wise sayings. He has 3,000 proverbs. If you don't know what a proverb is, it's kind of like an axiom. It's like a little um, sentence with a leadership principle or, or a character principle in it. Um, and, and he wrote 1,000 songs. Uh, and some of these proverbs and songs are recorded in Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, the book of Song, Song of Solomon. And we see that not only does he have all this, he's a really good diplomat as well. He unites two very opposing kingdoms. He he unites the nation of Israel with Egypt by marrying the Pharaoh's daughter. Now, not everyone can marry the Pharaoh's daughter. I said marrow the first service too. Um, Not everyone can marry the Pharaoh's daughter. You had to be able to select a certain uh, set of checkboxes. Now, you know, most of us in this room could, you know, check the box like handsome slash beautiful, Okay. Um, most of us could check, you know, uh, um, excited about life or whatever. But, but Solomon, the, the person who could marry Pharaoh had to be able to check these boxes. Unbelievably wealthy. Unimaginably powerful. And exceptionally fierce. Solomon checks all these not only, does he have, not only does he get to marry the Pharaoh's daughter, inherit the kingdom, get wisdom, and get more wealth and fame, 
In addition to that, God gave him the privilege of building the temple. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what the temple is, the temple was the house of God in the Old Testament. It wasn't that God was only in the temple. It was that God was always in the temple waiting for his people to meet with him. And he was always there to be, to be found. And so Solomon t- it takes seven years to build this temple. Very meticulous instructions. Uh, and then, um, because he's so wealthy, he decides to build his own crib, his own house, because David's house, like the palace that David built, it only had like 20 rooms and like 13 bathrooms. Like no one can live in those conditions. You know what I mean? And so, um, and so he builds his palace and it takes him 13 years to build the palace. Now I want to just pause here and just let you know, if by some chance some I, the, the Lord decides to rebuild the temple and dwell there on earth and God gives you the ability to build it, um, and, and the, the opportunity to build it, and you have so much wealth that you can build your own house, if that happens to you, and you take almost twice as long to build your own crib as you do for God, let this be, the, the, remember this moment, eh, eh, eh. red flags, You're building, it take, building your own home takes twice as long as building God's home, it should be a red flag to you, and in at the end of him building his house and the temple, um, they're dedicating it, uh, kind of like we did a couple weeks ago with the, uh, with the playground. Um, the playground doesn't have as many rooms, though. And, um, but in 1 Kings 9, we see God's response. So if you have your Bibles open, you can flip over to 1 Kings 9, um, or I believe it's page uh, 188 of the story. Um, in 1 Kings 9, we see uh, God's response to them dedicating the temple. God says to this, as for you, and starting in verse four, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me, And do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you. And go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land and I I have given them. And I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples. So Solomon receives this amazing promise from God. If you follow me. There will never be a moment in time where your, uh, your line, your lineage, your sons will not be rulers of my people. But then he says, but, he gives them a warning. If you reject them, I will cut you off from the throne. And not only will I cut you off from the throne, your choice to reject me will actually cause the entire nation of Israel to become the object of mockery. Like everyone just walking by like, hey, everybody point and laugh at Israel. <laughs> okay, like that's what it was. It's, it's a forgotten thing like, oh, hey, remember when Israel was cool? No, me neither. This is what God is saying to Solomon. If you keep this, the nation will prosper and so will you. But if you reject me, Not only will you not prosper, the nation will become a memory. 
Solomon receives this amazing promise from God to always be with him. And to top off the the wisdom and the wealth and the power and the fame, uh, Solomon was what you might call a a diversified portfolio ladies' man. Um, He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you don't know what a concubine is, you can ask your dad later. Um, And... uh, and so, you know, he had, he, had a little, he had a few ladies at his disposal, and then something happens. I mean, you're at this point in the story where Solomon has everything. There is not a single thing on the planet that he could not acquire. And yet, again, just like we've seen time and time again as the nation of Israel is emerging, plot twist. We'll throw this verse up here on the screen. It's in, from uh, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 9. Of 1 Kings, it says this, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. So the Lord ultimately tells Solomon, I told you what would happen. I told you what would happen if you tried to do life your way, if you didn't do it mine. But then he says later, and we didn't read this part, but he says later, but because, how, because of how much I loved your father, I won't tear the kingdom away from you while you're alive. Instead, I'll tear it away from your sons. Which as a dad, like, as I was reading that this week, as a dad, I thought about like handing off my kingdom to my son only to know it's going to be taken from me. Like, that's gut-wrenching. That, that's almost worse. And, and this is what God does. Now, you have to think about it. In terms of uh, the story, what we read, right? If you read this week, you, you probably had kind of a similar reaction that I did. Um, you're reading, you're reading, you're reading, and then all of a sudden, plot twist, and you're like, wow, this story just got real dark, real fast. And yeah, it did. In terms of reading the chapter in the story, But it didn't happen overnight in the life of Solomon. In fact, what we see with Solomon is a big failure is the result of little decisions. We see our big idea. Essentially, we see the the problem of the frog. Right? The problem of the frog is this. You put a frog in boiling water, the frog immediately uh, jumps out. Ah, that's hot. That's bad. I'm going to die. But... Study after study show you put a, pot, you put a, a frog in a pot of uh, a water that's room temperature and you turn on the heat and it starts, the heat starts to gradually increase. The frog will never jump out because it's saying, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. It's trying to adjust its body temperature ultimately until, it cooks in, until it's cooked and dead. The frog decides he can handle it. It's just a little more heat. It's just a little bit of heat. It's just getting a little bit warmer. Solomon's the same way, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Things like, things like walking away from God and getting your kingdom torn from your sons doesn't happen overnight. Uh, at least it doesn't happen in my life. I don't usually wake up and go like, okay, so here's my to-do list for the day. Uh, go to Smart and Final um, because the AC is so good. Uh, thank you, Sam, wherever you're at. And, um, uh, you know, uh, clean the front bathroom, wash my car, 
totally reject the Lord, um, buy my son sneakers. And, you know, like this isn't what it happens. It, you don't wake up and say like, oh, I'm just going to walk away from God. I'm going to ple- completely walk away from God. That doesn't happen. Instead, what happens is, for Solomon, how it happened is his weakness. His weakness was the ladies. And so what he does is he directly disobeys God's command. Uh, and, and at this time, God commanded the, the men of the nation of Israel not to marry foreign women. Not because they were foreign, not because they weren't from their nation, but because, because they weren't from their nation, they worshiped other gods. And God knew that the, men, that the hearts of men are easily swayed. And so that if they would invite those women into their life, they would also invite their gods into their life as well. And this is exactly what happens with Solomon. But it, even then, even the first wife that he had that was from another nation, that didn't happen overnight, right? It always happens the same way. Oh, dang, look at her. All right. She's, she's pretty good. I have a lot of wealth and power and fame. I mean, I, this is how I speak. You know, I don't know if you speak this way. Um, you know, I, I, could, I could probably have her. I should, I should go after her, right? It's all these little micro decisions in your mind moving towards a colossal failure. And Solomon doesn't just do this once. In fact, he has hundreds of foreign women as wives. So he doesn't just make this mistake and go, oh my gosh, it took me twice as long to build the Lord's house and now I've got a foreign wife. I am just, I got to change my ways. No, it's just little decision after little decision after little decision moving him further and further and further and further and further away from the way God called him to live. And if there's two verses that show Solomon's legacy there, I mean, we're going to throw them up here on the screen. You don't have to turn to them. Um, it's, it's 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 2. It says this, Solomon held fast to them in love, his, his wives. Notice, notice it doesn't say Solomon held fast to the Lord. It says he held fast to them. And then this other verse in chapter 4, uh, we read this. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. This is the legacy of Solomon. And it didn't happen overnight. He didn't make one colossal decision. He didn't have, he didn't wake up one day and say, today, 500 women, bring them here from other nations. I'm marrying them all. That's not how it happened. Little decision. And isn't this the same way with us? Right? With Solomon, it was, the weakness was the ladies. I don't know what it is for you. Selfishness, jealousy, rage, gossip. I don't know what it is for you, but I know what it is for me. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's just a teeny, tiny course, change of course. But when you think about it, right, um, a one degree of difference doesn't seem like a whole lot. Hey, I'm only changing my direction by one degree. But if you go for a long enough time, one degree off is a very, very 
very long distance from your original destination. And this is exactly what Solomon did. And what he shows us at the heart of his legacy, and this is the next thing I want you to write down, is this very simple but profound principle. All our decisions matter. Every single decision we make matters. Who gets the voice in our decisions? Who do we go to? Who do we consult? No matter how small or insignificant our decision might be in front of us, it matters to God, right? Another way to say this is every decision is a spiritual decision. I don't know if you think of your life in compartments or you think of your life as one thing, but for me personally, one of the most revolutionary changes that God's made in my life is starting to see everything as spiritual instead of, well, this is my family life and this is my work life and this is my blank life. And nah, 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 nah. No, no, no. This is my life with God. That's it. There isn't anything else. That has had one of the most profound impacts on my life. Because Solomon compromised once, and you guys know this, right? Uh, you, you know, how easy, how much easier is it to compromise in the same way after you've already done it once? It's easier to do the same thing. Yeah, I, I did it. Everything turned out okay. Nobody died. I'm good. And so that's what Solomon did. But he didn't just do that. See, now, here's where the big, big, big difference between Solomon and his father David is. See, David does some atrocious things, does some terrible things, steals a man's wife, murders somebody, you know, the list goes on and on. But then God sends a guy named Nathan to him and says, uh, he tells him a story of this totally unjust, terrible um, set of decisions. And David's like, oh my gosh, that man's terrible. We got to get that man and kill him. And then Nathan says, yeah, you're that man. And David's like, I sinned against God. I, how did I do that? How did I do that? How did I not see it? How did I get here? See, Solomon doesn't have Nathans in his life. In fact, he has done everything in his power to separate himself from everyone except for yes people. His inner circle is not made up of Nathans. His inner circle is made up of yes, sir. Great idea, sir. Good decision, sir. No matter what. And here we see kind of a, it's kind of a sub point of the first point, but I think it's so important for you and me today. And by the way, it's especially important for you students. If you could get this one idea, it would revolutionize the way you do school and life. And it's this, the next thing I want you to write down. Who influences us? matters. Who influences us matters. See, Solomon wasn't like his father David in this sense. He had all the ability to make the best decisions. It was a gift given to him by God. Only he didn't make those decisions when it came to himself. The great philosopher and novelist uh, Lewis Carroll, the writer of uh, 
Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and other books, um, through the character Alice, says this, I give myself very good advice and very seldom follow it. Anyone resonate with that? That's Solomon. He gave himself very good advice. He, he gave everyone else very good advice. And he just didn't follow it. I, I, I've never actually met anyone who's literally jumped into a pot of boiling water. I, I've just never met them. Maybe you have. I've never met anyone who does that. In the same way, I have very, very seldom seen somebody make one decision that ruins their life. Instead, what I see time after time after time, and I hear this phrase over and over again as I'm counseling people for 15 years in student ministry now for the last three in adults, the phrase is the same. How did I get here? I don't know how I got here. I can tell you. Little decision after little decision. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is a, is a really important question. And it's the last thing I want to encourage you to write down, and it's this. What is keeping you? What is keeping me, rather, from being fully devoted to God? I want you to ask yourself that question. What is keeping me from being fully devoted to God? Is it security? Is it money? Is it, is it fame? Is it popularity? Maybe it's something far more destructive for you. Pornography. Drug abuse. Substance abuse. Maybe it's pain and grief that you are being annihilated by the enemy because you're looking to that instead of to God. And I, I will, my hope for today, and as I, as I wrote this message this week and as I, as I prayed for, for you guys this week, is that we would be able to ask ourselves this question, but that it wouldn't just stop there. That this week we would be able to take some time, and whatever God reveals to you in that, if you would just take some time and journal, take some time and write about that thing. There was a former pastor here that some of you knew well, named Doug Jeffries, and he used to have this saying, expression deepens the impression. Um, the way we would say it today is saying it out loud makes it real. That's how we'd say it today. So I want to encourage you, journal about it. But don't just stop there. Then go one step further and say it out loud. Say it to somebody in your life group. Say it to somebody in your community. Say, I have been taking these decisions and I didn't realize how far off course I am, but I do now. Or I am so tempted to be making these decisions to, to, to stay later at the office to see that person that I, that I want to see. 
to, to, to go to that place where those friends are, that I know that when I'm with them, I do those things. To turn on that computer at that time when I know that no one's looking. To say it to them and say, help me. Don't let your legacy be Solomon's. Where, you, where your legacy would be and your heart held fast to blank. Don't let your legacy be anything other than and her heart or his heart held fast to the Lord. This is my prayer for you. And so to kind of give you a, a, a way about this, the band's going to come back up. And, and as they do, um, I'm just going to encourage you. That we're going to throw a verse up here on the screen. Psalm 139. Uh, may, this pr- may this verse be a prayer for you to ask God that question. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Folks, church, I want to I just point out one really quick thing about that. Notice what David writes here. He says, see if there is any offensive way. Not see if there's a really big offensive way. Friends, what's keeping you from being fully devoted to God? Go now to prayer and reflection, asking God to speak to you. Journal about it this week and share it and make it real. Go to prayer now.